Story two of The Water Ghost and Others by John Kendrick Bangs. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Story two The Spectre Cook of Bangletop. Part three. For the next two weeks, Terwilliger lived in a state of preoccupation that worried his wife and daughters to a very considerable extent. They were afraid that something had happened, or was about to happen, in connection with the shoe corporation, and this deprived them of sleep, particularly the elder Miss Terwilliger, who had danced four times at a recent ball with an impecunious young earl, whom she suspected of having intentions. Ariadne was in a state of grave apprehension, because she knew that much as the earl might love her, it would be difficult for them to marry on his income, which was literally too small to keep the roof over his head in decent repair. But it was not business trouble that occupied every sleeping and waking thought of Hankinson Judson Terwilliger. His mind was now set upon the hardest problem it had ever had to cope with, that problem being how to so ennoble the spectre cook of Bangletop that she might outrank the ancestors of his landlord in the other world, the shady world, he called it. The living cook had been induced to remain partly by threats and partly by promises of increased pay. The threats consisted largely of expressions of determination to leave her in England, thousands of miles from her home in Massachusetts, deserted and forlorn, the poor woman being insufficiently provided with funds to get back to America, and holding in her veins a strain of Celtic blood quite large enough to make the idea of remaining an outcast in England absolutely intolerable to her. At the end of seven days, Terwilliger was seemingly as far from the solution of his problem as ever, and at the grand fete given by himself and wife on the afternoon of the seventh day of his trial to the Earl of Mugley, the one in whom Ariadne was interested, he seemed almost rude to his guests, which the latter overlooked, taking it for the American way of entertaining. It was very hard for a shoemaker to entertain earls, dukes, and the plainest kind of everyday lords under ordinary circumstances, but when, in addition to the duties of host, the maker of souls has to think out a recipe for the making of an aristocrat out of a deceased plebe, a polite drawing-room manner is hardly to be expected. Mr. Terwilliger's manner remained of the kind to be expected under the circumstances, neither better nor worse, until the flunky at the door announced in stentorian tones, THE HURL OF MUGLEY. The hurl of Mugley seemed to be the open sesame to the door betwixt Terwilliger and success. Simultaneously with the entrance of the earl, the solution of his problem flashed across the mind of the master of Bangletop, and his affronting demeanour, his preoccupation and all, disappeared in an instant. Indeed, so elegantly enthusiastic was his reception of the earl, that Lady Maud Sniffles, on the other side of the room, whispered in the ear of the Honourable Miss Pottleton that Mugley's creditors were in luck, to which the Honourable Miss Pottleton, whose smiles upon the nobleman had been returned unopened, curved her upper lip spitefully, and replied that they were indeed, but she didn't envy Ariadne that pompous little error of nature's, the Earl. 
"'Howdy do, Earl,' said Terwilliger. "'Glad to see you looking so well. How's your mamma?" "'The Countess is in her usual state of health, Mr. Terwilliger,' replied the Earl. "'Ain't she coming this afternoon?' "'I uh, really can't say,' replied Mugley. "'I asked her if she was coming, and all she did was to call for her salts. She's a little given to fainting spells, and the slightest shock rather upsets her.' And then the Earl turned on his heel and sought out the fair Ariadne, while Terwilliger, excusing himself, left the assemblage and went directly to his private office in the crypt of the Greek chapel. Arrived there, he seated himself at his desk and wrote the following formal card, which he put in an envelope and addressed to the Earl of Mugley. If the Earl of Mugley will call at the private office of Mr. H. Judson Terwilliger at once, he will not only greatly oblige Mr. H. Judson Terwilliger, but may also hear of something to his advantage. The card written, Terwilliger summoned an attendant, ordered a quantity of liqueurs, whiskey, sherry, port, and lemon squash, for two, to be brought to the office, and then sent his communication to the Earl. Now, the Earl was a great stickler for etiquette, and he did not at all like the idea of one of his position waiting upon one of Mr. Terwilliger's rank, or lack of rank, and at first thought he was inclined to ignore the request of his host, but a combination of circumstances served to change his resolution. He so seldom heard anything to his advantage that, for mere novelty's sake, he thought he would do as he was asked but the question of his dignity rose up again, and, shoving the note into his pocket, he tried to forget it. After five minutes he found he could not forget it, and putting his hand into the pocket for the missive, meaning to give it a second reading, he drew out another paper by mistake, which was, in brief, a reminder from a firm of London lawyers that he owed certain clients of theirs a few thousands of pounds for the clothing that had adorned his back for the last two years, and stating that proceedings would be begun if, at the expiration of three months, the account was not paid in full. The reminder settled it. The Earl of Mugley graciously concluded to grant Mr. H. Judson Terwilliger an audience in the private office under the Greek chapel. "'Sit down, Earl, and have a cream de mint with me,' said Terwilliger, as the Earl, four minutes later, entered the apartment. "'Thanks,' returned the Earl. "'Beautiful color, that,' he added pleasantly, smacking his lips with satisfaction, as the soft green fluid disappeared from the glass into his inner Earl. "'Fine,' said Terwilliger. "'Little unripe, perhaps, but pleasant to the eye. I prefer the hue of the maraschino myself, just—' taste that maraschino earl it's a one thirty-six dollars a case you wanted to see me about uh, some matter of interest to both of us i believe mr terwilliger said the earl declining the proffered maraschino well yes returned terwilliger more of interest to you perhaps than to me the fact is, Earl, I've taken quite a shine to you, so much of a one, in fact, that I've looked you up at a commercial agency, and H. J. Terwilliger never does that unless he's mighty interested in a man. I, uh, hope you are not to be prejudiced against me, 
the earl said uneasily, by, uh, by what those cads of tradesmen say about me. Uh, not a bit, returned Terwilliger, not a bit. In fact, what I've discovered has prejudiced me in your favor. You are just the man I've been looking for for some days. I've wanted a man with three A blood and three Z finances for most a week now and from what i gather from burke and bradstreet you fill the bill you owe pretty much everybody from your tailor to the collector of pew-rents at your church eh i've been unfortunate in financial matters returned the earl but i have left the family name untarnished so i believe earl that's what i admire about you some men with your debts would be driven to drink or other pastimes of a more or less tarnishing nature and I admire you for the admirable restraint you have put upon yourself. You owe, I am told, about uh, twenty-seven thousand pounds. My secretary has the figures, I believe, said the earl, slightly bored. Well, we'll say thirty thousand in round figures. Now, what hope have you of ever paying that sum off? None, unless I, uh, well, unless I should be fortunate enough to secure a rich wife precisely that is exactly what i thought rejoined terwilliger marriage is your only asset and as yet that is hardly negotiable now i have called you here this afternoon to make a proposition to you if you will marry according to my wishes i will give you an income of five thousand pounds a year for the next five years i don't quite understand you the earl replied in a disappointed tone it was evident that five thousand pounds per annum was too small a figure for his tastes i think i was quite plain said terwilliger and he repeated his offer i certainly admire the lady very much said the earl but the settlement of income seems very small terwilliger opened his eyes wide with astonishment oh you admire the lady, eh? he said. Well, there is no accounting for tastes. You uh, surprise me slightly, said the earl in response to this remark. The lady is certainly worthy of any man's admiration. She is refined, cultivated, beautiful, and... Uh, <coughs> ahem, said Terwilliger. May, may I ask, my dear earl, uh, to whom you refer? to ariadne of course i thought your course somewhat unusual but we do not pretend to comprehend you americans over here your proposition is that i shall marry ariadne i hesitate to place on record what terwilliger said in answer to this statement it was forcible rather than polite and the earl from that moment adopted a new simile for degrees of profanity substituting to swear like an american for the old forms having to do with pirates and troopers the string of expletives was about five minutes in length at the end of which time terwilliger managed to say no such damned proposition ever entered my mind i want you to marry a cold misty musty spectre nothing more or less and i'll tell you why and then he proceeded to tell the earl of mugley all that he knew of the history of bangletop hall concluding with a narration of his experience with the ghost cook 
"'My rent here,' he said in conclusion, "'is five thousand pounds per annum. "'The advertising I get out of the fact of my being here "'and swelling it with you nabobs "'is worth twenty-five thousand pounds a year, "'and I'm willing to pay in good hard cash twenty per cent of that amount "'rather than be forced to give up. "'Now here's your choice to get an income without an encumbrance "'and stave off your creditors. "'Marry the spook so that she can go back to the spirit-land a countess and make it hot for the bangle-tops and don't be so all-fired proud she'll be disappointed enough i can tell you when i inform her that an earl was the best i could do the promised duke not being within reach if she says earls are drugs in the market i won't be able to deny it and after all my lad a good cook is a greater blessing in this world than any earl that ever lived and a blamed sight rarer your proposition is absolutely ridiculous mr terwilliger replied the earl i'd look well marrying a draught from a dark cavern as you call it now wouldn't i to say nothing of the impossibility of a mugly marrying a cook i cannot entertain the proposition you'll find you can't entertain anything if you don't watch out fumed terwilliger in return i'm not so sure about that replied the earl haughtily sipping his lemon squash i fancy miss ariadne is not entirely indifferent to me well you might just as well understand on this eighteenth day of july eighteen um, as any other time that my daughter ariadne never becomes the earless of mugley said terwilliger in a tone of exasperation not even when her father considers the commercial value of such an alliance for his daughter retorted the earl shaking his finger in terwilliger's face not even when the president of the three-dollar shoe company of Sultan, massachusetts limited considers the advertising sure to result from a marriage between his house and that of mugley with presents from her majesty the queen the duke of york acting as best man and telegrams of congratulation from the crowned heads of europe pouring in at the rate of two an hour for half as many hours as there are thrones terwilliger turned pale the picture painted by the earl was terribly alluring he hesitated he was lost mugley he whispered hoarsely mugley i have wronged you i thought you were a fortune hunter i see you love her take her my boy and pass me the brandy certainly mr terwilliger replied the earl affably and then if you've no objection you may pass it back and i'll join you in a thimbleful myself and then the two men drank each other's health in silence which was prolonged for at least five minutes during which time the earl and his host both appeared to be immersed in deep thought come said terwilliger at last let us go back to the drawing-room or they'll miss us and by the way you might speak of that little matter to ariadne to-night it'll help the fall trade to have the engagement announced i will mr terwilliger replied the earl as they started to leave the room but i say father-in-law-elect he whispered catching terwilliger's coat-sleeve and drawing him back into the office for an instant you uh, couldn't let me have 
above five pounds on account this evening, could you? Two minutes later, Terwilliger and the Earl appeared in the drawing-room, the former looking haggard and worn, his eyes feverishly bright, and his manner betraying the presence of disturbing elements in his nerve centres. The latter, smiling more affably than was consistent with his title, and jingling a number of gold coins in his pocket, which his intimate friend and old college chum, Lord Dufferton, on the other side of the room, marvelled at greatly, for he knew well that upon the Earl's arrival at Bangletop Hall an hour before, his pockets were as empty as a flunkey's head. End of Story 2 Part 3